Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We now have what will be talked about, not just today, but for generations, the blizzard of 22. We're still in the throes of this very dangerous, life-threatening situation. Good morning, everyone. It is Monday, December 26th. Don and Caitlin are off. I am so happy to be joined by my friend, Sarah Seidner. Good morning. Good morning. spending the morning with us. But let's talk about what is a crisis of epic proportion. That is a quote from the governor of New York about the death toll from this snowstorm in the state, that death toll rising overnight will take you live to Buffalo. Severe weather triggering thousands of delays and cancellations, impacting millions of air travelers, many of them failing to make it home for the holidays. And a quote, cruel, dangerous, and shameful stunt, the White House blaming Texas Governor Greg Abbott for sending busloads of migrants to the residence of Vice President Kamala Harris on Christmas Eve in bitter cold weather. And a warning from Ukraine's president to his people, Vladimir Putin, will try to make the last few days of the year dark and difficult. First, though, a storm for the ages in western New York state. At least 17 weather-related deaths are now being reported this morning, most of them in the Buffalo area. Governor Kathy Hochul has requested emergency disaster relief from the Biden administration. A state of emergency remains in effect. This has paralyzed so many parts of this state and this country, bringing this region to its knees. More than 12,000 customers are still without power this morning in Erie County. Most of those outages are in Buffalo. An additional 200 National Guard members are now deployed in western New York to assist with this emergency response. Paula Sandoval joins us live for CNN this morning in Buffalo. It is still coming down, Polo, and it has been so deadly. (laughs) It was a break in the clouds yesterday, Poppy. Uh, We even saw the sun. And then this morning, waking up to that snow band shifting north. And just to show you in the last couple of hours, already this fresh coating of snow well, it's definitely adding up. The National Weather Service here in Buffalo expecting the snow effect, uh, or at least this lake effect snow, uh, on and off to continue until tomorrow uh, and expecting a total of about a foot of additional snow here in Buffalo. That is certainly not going to help the cleanup uh, efforts as they try to clear out these streets. You mentioned this already being a deadly storm overnight. Officials here in Erie County confirming yet another death. The body of a 22-year-old woman found inside a vehicle here in Erie County. Now, just a little over a dozen deaths confirmed. A mix of folks who suffered medical emergencies while uh, shoveling snow, but also, uh, as we mentioned, some individuals found in their vehicles. Three folks who uh, lost their lives after EMS services could not make it to them over the weekend because these roads were just uh, impossible to drive. The driving offense, uh, uh, ban The uh, uh, travel restriction that is currently in place here in Buffalo still clearly officials are going to wake up this morning and reassess the situation. But, you know, when I say wake up this morning, they have been really honestly working almost for three, uh, some four days straight, constantly not only monitoring the streets, 
uh, helping people that were stranded in their vehicles uh, for days, but also working to restore power. About 25,000 people without power in and around Buffalo. Believe it or not, that's actually an improvement. There is hope wow. that because the winds are not as bad as they were over the weekend, crews will continue to pick up those efforts, Poppy, to get people's power restored. They spent, many of them, spent Christmas weekend in dark homes, temperatures inside at or below freezing. Yeah. You can just imagine that. Uh, Polo, thank you very much. Sarah and I have spent many a blizzard out there covering it. So thanks to you and your team. It is difficult work to do. We appreciate it very much. I even read about first responders yeah. needing to be rescued. Yeah, that's how bad it was. Like a, it a huge number of firefighters were out yeah. there trying to rescue people and they got stuck. Wow. So it's pretty bad. Also, something else that's not so great this morning. The storm uh, leaving thousands of holiday travelers stranded and frustrated as more than 1,300 flights are canceled all across the country. The world's biggest airport and busiest airport is in Atlanta, topping the list of the most canceled flights today. CNN's Carlos Suarez live there at Hartsfield-Jackson Atlanta International uh, with more on the story. Um, I know that you have been there throughout the weekend uh, watching this. What are things like now compared to the snafu this weekend? Well, Sarah, good morning. Things at this airport are pretty much what they've been like for the last uh, two days because of all of these canceled flights. Uh, out of the airport this morning, we're now looking at another 145 flights that have been canceled because of all of this cold weather that has moved across a good part of the U.S. One thing that has changed, though, as we head into the new work week is that some of these flights, some of them are starting to take off again. A good number of the folks here behind me, they're in pretty good shape. We talked to them just a few minutes ago, and a lot of them told us that their flights are on time and they're hoping to get out. That said, you've still got to make a line to check that bag in, and boy, is it quite long. If you can show them what I'm talking about here, the folks have been lining up for a good part of the morning here. Everyone is just hoping to get out. Considering what we've been seeing the last couple of days, we caught up with one woman who was quite frustrated. She's still pretty upset at Delta because she's just trying to get to New York after the holiday rush, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Here's what she told us. My situation is we do live here. We were trying to get to New York for our holiday. We've been trying to do this for four years and we booked on Delta. They canceled our flight, then they moved it two days later to a to the 26th today at night, put us through Pennsylvania for a six-hour layover, then canceled that. We went on there on Frontier, made a flight, doubled the cost of money, got here this morning, it's canceled. Now we're standing in a line to see if we can get another ticket somehow to New York because we have tickets and friends and everything up there. And so that woman, she's now standing in that line trying to see exactly what she's going to be able to do considering her flight has been canceled. She was rebooked, put on another flight, and now that flight's also been canceled. So when you take a look at the numbers across the U.S., as you guys said coming out to me, well over 1,300 flights have been canceled across the U.S. Yesterday, that number was north of 3,000. And Atlanta, well, it's been leading the effort in terms of the overall number of canceled flights. However, this morning, it appears that Denver International Airport is now taking the top spot. Guys? Carlos, I remember it was 6,000 about, then it's down to 3,000 now. We're at 14. I mean, it's getting a little bit better, but it can't feel like it, that no. poor woman. I feel for her. New York is here to give you a hug whenever <laughs> and it's she gonna makes get warmer. it. It's going to get warmer. It's going to get a little... Yeah, it's going to get better. <laughs> it's going to get mildly better. Thank you, Carlos. All right. Uh, just how long will this dangerous weather stay with us? Meteorologist Chad Myers is with us. Good morning. Uh, Merry Christmas. Good morning. You've been working overtime. What are we looking at? It's okay. 
<laughs> we are finally seeing now the cold air begin to move away. Chicago, you're beginning to warm up. I know that 17 doesn't feel like a warm up, but it is compared to what your windshield was just a couple of days ago. Lots of snow in Buffalo. The South Towns usually get it. We're talking Cattaraugus, Chautauqua County. But this time, Buffalo proper really got another round. Another, I mean, I, I grew up in Buffalo. So 95 inches of snow for the entire season is normal. They've had 92.7 already. And we're not even into January yet, and it's still snowing, as you saw in Polo's live shot. We are still going to see, we are seeing a foot or two more of snow in that area, more across about Watertown to the east of Lake Ontario. But there's the warm air. It is in the west, and it is on its way, and it's coming. Look at Saturday and Sunday in New York City. Melting everything across parts of the Adirondacks, the Cascades, all the way across, even parts of the Niagara frontier, will get some warm-up, and maybe you won't have to shovel all of it, Poppy. I'm just looking at all the pictures of the snowbanks in Minnesota. There are cars, yeah. there are cars, you know, in Covered. my hometown on top, on top, yeah. on top. Somehow they got on top of the snowbanks. I know, I'll show you in the break. Chad, thank you very, very much. Thank you, uh, cruel, dangerous, and shameful stunt. That's what the White House is saying about several busloads of migrants who were dropped off in front of the home of Vice President Harris in 18-degree weather on Christmas Eve. Some of them, you can see there, they're only wearing T-shirts in those frigid temperatures. CNN's Priscilla Alvarez joins us now from Washington, D.C. Um, is there any idea of, of exactly who did this? It had to be somebody high up that made this, this decision. Well, groups here in D.C. pointed the finger at Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who since April has been sending busloads of migrants to D.C., many of them, too, to the vice president's residence. Now, we had reached out to Abbott's office for confirmation, and they haven't responded. But the reality is, as you painted there, migrants were dropped off on Christmas Eve at the Naval Observatory in freezing temperatures. Now, Groups tell us that they included uh, people from Ecuador, Cuba, Venezuela, Peru. These are all migrants that have already been processed by border authorities and then released. The bus, they said, was supposed to go to New York City, but because of the free of the weather in that uh, city, they were diverted to D.C. They've all been taken care of, but the White House calling this, quote, a cruel, dangerous and shameful stunt. They went on to say that, quote, political games accomplish nothing. And it was on uh, uh, Christmas Eve as well. Uh, let's turn to the border because uh, they are being inundated. El Paso in particular has declared a state of emergency. Uh, what can we expect to see this week? Well, border crossings in that region of the border have dropped a little bit compared to where they were, but it's a similar situation in that there are really cold temperatures there and shelters are having to work overtime to try to accommodate those migrants, many of them with very little and especially not very many jackets or blankets. And so they are trying and working on overdrive to try to give them all those resources. Now, what the administration is watching is, of course, the situation that is unfolding along the border, but also the Supreme Court. We are waiting to hear from the Supreme Court on whether the administration can move forward with plans to end Title 42. That is that border restriction that has allowed authorities to push back migrants into Mexico. And so we are waiting for a ruling there uh, to see whether the administration can move forward. That, of course, will have ramifications as to what happens at the border this week and the days to come. So I've spoken to one of the council members there uh, who says that she is begging the, the federal government to release the monies uh, because they are truly inundated and in a crisis. Priscilla Alvarez, thank you so much uh, for joining us this morning.
Well, the lighting of a Christmas tree in the middle of Kyiv bringing joy to Ukrainians there after 10 months of their country being ravaged by war. This comes as the eastern city of Bakhmut faces some of the fiercest fighting of the Russian invasion yet. President Zelensky warning Russia will try to make the last few days of the year, quote, dark and difficult. Let's go to our Will Ripley. He is live in Kyiv this morning. That must have been quite a sight, Will. To see the Christmas tree lit amid everything they have been through. The Christmas tree was beautiful, Poppy, but can I tell you how I woke up mm. on Christmas morning? We didn't wake up to jingle bells. We woke up to air raid sirens. They sounded twice on Christmas across the country, and it's one of those moments where you think, even on Christmas, you know, can these people in Ukraine catch a break? Uh, in the end, the air raid sirens turned out to be likely because of um, potential Russian fighter jet or bomber activity in the airspace of Be Belarus. There were no bombing attacks. There was, uh, however, over the weekend, heavy shelling down in the south in Kherson that killed 16 people, injured dozens more. Um, and there are these worries from President Zelensky, Poppy, that the coming days before the new year could be very difficult for Ukraine. Uh, there's fears of a major Russian attack coming uh, and once again targeting the civilian infrastructure. One bright spot, though, in addition to that tree, the lights here in Kiev were actually on continuously all day on Christmas. It's the, only the second time since Russia started launching these attacks that they've had consistent power for an entire day. Isn't that just remarkable? I mean, you think of what they're going through in the bitter cold, air raid sirens on Christmas and many, many days without power. Let me just ask you, though, about the reaction in Kyiv to what Vladimir Putin said over the weekend, which is, you know, essentially, we're ready to negotiate with anyone who wants to come to the table. That has been a non-starter for the Ukrainian president. Well, they don't buy it, Poppy. Yeah. They believe that this is Russia's attempt to bide more time. You know, it, Russia has uh, training ongoing with its troops. They've mobilized hundreds of thousands of conscripts. Uh, they're a mess on the battlefield. And the Ukrainians think that Vladimir Putin knows he needs some breathing room. Uh, he needs a break from the fighting on the front lines to get his forces assembled and try to make another run at Kyiv, the Ukrainians believe, early next year. So they think that this is just Russia trying to absolve itself of responsibility for starting this war, making this false call for invasions while secretly you know, they're just getting themselves ready for the next phase of battle, hoping that they'll be better prepared this mm -hmm. time around. Well, Ripley, thank you very much for reporting for us from Kiev. Well, this morning, nearly every state is dealing with high respiratory virus activity. Doctors say this is likely going to get worse. And it's officially the end of the road for Carrie Lake's dream of becoming governor of Arizona, a judge shutting down her efforts to overturn her defeat. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. It has been a rough flu season. Anyone who has kids certainly knows that. And any, anyone else who may have gotten the flu this season, the flu activity is so high right now. It is showing signs of slowing, is it, according to the CDC? However, experts warn that things may tick up again because of holiday travel, all these gatherings. Our senior medical correspondent, Elizabeth Cohen, is with us now. I keep thinking everyone who gets sick in our orbit, I'm like, did you test for COVID? But it's like, it's about the flu right now as well. Oh, not just as well, even more so. I mean, there is so much flu out there. I'm going to show you a map of the United States, Poppy. Take a look at this. There are very few states that are not red, purple, orange. That means very few states are not 
having high or very high flu levels. If it's red, orange, or purple, that means high or very high flu levels. So well, I'll show you these numbers too, but I want everyone to take them with a grain of salt. You can see that the number of hospitalizations are going down when you look backwards, right? So the week of November 27th, there were, you know, more than 26,000 hospitalizations, and then the numbers go down. But still, that is really, really high. And also these little drops that we've seen recently, as you mentioned, that could all reverse uh, when it comes out the next time because it will reflect people getting together for holiday gatherings. Poppy, Sarah? Um, just a quick question. You know, people are out in the cold, walking around, um, checking out the snow at this point in some places. But what should people be doing to really safeguard themselves and young children and the elderly when it comes to these extreme temperatures? Right, Sarah, you need to be so careful. And you named the two important groups, the two vulnerable vulnerable groups. Infants need to be dressed warmly, more warmly than you would dress yourself. And the elderly, check on elderly people if you know them who might be home at home alone. The very young and the very old, they don't maintain their body temperature as well as other folks do. Also, avoid alcohol and caffeine. I know that's so disappointing because like a nice hot drink or a nice hot coffee sounds good, right? But alcohol and caffeine can inhibit your body's ability to deal with the extreme cold. Also remember that cold puts stress on the heart and it aggravates asthma and other lung diseases. So if you or anyone you know suffers from any of those ailments, be really, really careful. You're just, you're just there. They might have trouble in this extreme cold. Poppy, Sarah. I just got to the bottom of my coffee. As she said, avoid coffee and alcohol. I think I'm going to give her another cup of coffee. <laughs> Sorry, Elizabeth. We woke up in the middle of the night. <laughs> We needed it. All right. In China, frontline workers say hospitals are overwhelmed. So why is the government no longer publishing daily COVID numbers? Also, King Charles has released his first Christmas message. The touching tribute to his mother, the late queen, is next. Welcome back to CNN This Morning. Coming up, Tesla stock is on pace to have its worst year ever. What exactly is causing shares of Elon Musk's car company to plunge? And the Taliban announcing a new ban to limit women's rights, how the U.S. and NGOs are responding. Plus, a family of six spent Christmas in a firehouse after being rescued from Buffalo's dangerous blizzard. The family and their heroes will join us live just ahead. Can't wait to hear from them. Meantime, in his first Christmas address to the nation as king, King Charles made a heartfelt tribute to his mother, the late Queen Elizabeth. Christmas is a particularly poignant time for all of us who have lost loved ones. We feel their absence at every familiar turn of the season and remember them in each cherished tradition. Let's go straight to our friend Richard Quest. He joins us live from London. Richard... Not only as a reporter, journalist, you took this in, but mm -hmm. as, as a Brit. And you've watched 50 of these. So how was it different this time? Oh, well, first of all, you always time your Christmas lunch so it finishes at three o'clock, which is just about the time, which is the time that the king, in this case, speaks. And then everybody gets round the television, uh, old-fashioned style for this moment, if you will, um, and it was different. We all were very much aware of that this was the first time we had seen the king give a, give a speech, and it was a personal message from him. Right at the start, he talked about how he was in the same chapel 
where his mother and his father uh, were laid to rest. And that was very different, in a sense, uh, to what we've seen before with the Queen. The big difference I found as a journalist was it was a more complicated message. He talked about the light of this and he referred to that. The Queen kept it pretty simple. It was always a bit about what she'd done, a bit about her Christian faith, and always ended with, and I wish you all a very happy Christmas. <laughs> in this one, Charles was much more complicated in his messaging, uh, the way he said it, what he said. And of course, there were no pictures or photographs around for us to wonder who was in and who was out, who was up, who was down, mm. or what about the, the jewelry that was being worn. Mm. Yeah, it was more about the sentiment because this is the first time that the Queen, for most people, uh, the majority of Britons and people in the world ha have seen the King, the new King, uh, take take his, his rightful place. Um, I, I have a question for you about the family. The royal family was out, outside of church, I understand, greeting people. We haven't seen this in a couple of years because of COVID. What was it like? Ah, well, this is a classic. Uh, this is where the family leave uh, the, the church on the Sandringham estate and they greet local people who have been there waiting. And we get there, so there you have the, key, the king and the queen consort. Immediately behind you have William and Kate, obviously, as the senior royals. Then you've got Beatrice and Eugenie. What is fascinating, you know, in his Christmas message and here, there were no mention of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, nor Prince Andrew. Now, that's not because they were shunned out, although Andrew was there, but simply they're no longer working royals. So in the Christmas message, we didn't see Meghan and Harry because they're no longer working royals. And what this weekend has shown is that the king is going to be laser focused on those members of the family upon which the institution rests, which is himself, the queen consort, William uh, and Kate, and arguably some of the other royals like Beatrice, Eugenie, Prince, um, uh, the, the Duke of West Wessex, and those members of the royal family. The rest won't be shunted out but they'll just gently be ignored. <laughs> Spoken in, in, yeah. in a true Brit. <laughs> gently ignored. I've never heard that before. <laughs> Sounds like a T-shirt. Richard, thank you. Always a joy to have you on with us around Christmas. Thank you, my friend. This morning, another major defeat for election deniers nationwide. An Arizona judge ruling against Carrie Lake's election challenge after losing her bid for governor. Lake falsely claimed that some ballot printer problems in Maricopa County were part of a deliberate effort to rig the vote against her, but the judge said Lake's witnesses did not have any personal knowledge of intentional misconduct. After the ruling, Lake tweeted that she would appeal the decision she has until 5 p.m. today to respond. Lake lost to Democrat Katie Hobbs by about 17,000 votes in November. Well, 10 people... Uh who were feared missing from that avalanche in Austria have been found alive. The avalanche happened Sunday near two mountainous villages in Western Austria. Rescue workers feared that all 10 were missing, maybe dead, based on video showing the group of skiers in the avalanche, avalanche's path. The video cut off, though, before showing what happened to them. Officials say this morning everyone is accounted for. Four people were hurt, one was seriously injured. A final sweep of the area will be done today. And the latest drop in Tesla stock may prove Elon Musk's problems go beyond Twitter. We'll talk about that. And how soon could former President Trump's tax returns be released to the public? The new reporting just ahead.
Rough year for Tesla stock. 123 bucks a share. It is now at its lowest point of the year. Elon Musk's love affair with Twitter, is that what we're calling it these days, is not the only reason why Tesla shares have lost so much value, though. Joining us now to talk about that and a whole lot more, editor-in-chief of Semaphore and former New York media, New York Times media columnist Ben Smith. Ben, it's good to have you. This is interesting because, remember, there was that court hearing and this lawsuit, Tesla shareholders mad that, you know, Elon Musk is focused so much on Twitter. But there's a lot more behind Tesla's uh, share drop. What is it? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, just, you know, the law of gravity is starting to apply here. Tesla is valued, is the most valuable car company in the world. It's way more valuable than Toyota, which just sells a lot more cars. And, um, and that's all based on an idea that Tesla is going to become like the iPhone of cars, just going to become this massively dominant company that, you know, a huge share of cars, maybe 20%, maybe more, will ultimately be Tesla's. And any suggestion that things aren't going to pan out quite that way, just that it's going to be one of many car companies with a pretty good car. These are really, if you've driven a Tesla, fun to drive, good car, but maybe not going to be the only car on the road. And any sign that that's the future is going to sp- just is gradually bringing stock to earth. It's really interesting. We've also heard from Elon Musk himself. There is uh, movement on his part where he is selling some of his Tesla stocks a, a large, a large amount for for someone like me. A large amount for anyone. <laughs> maybe maybe not for him. Um, but let's listen to what he said on a podcast um, about the economy and what's happening with it. It does seem like we're headed into a recession here um, in, in 2023. The magnitude of that recession is debatable, but I think it's at least a, a, a light to moderate recession. Potentially, it's on the order of uh, 2009. Um, so that's so. I think it's 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 wise to kind of like prepare for the worst, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Uh, he's sounding like he's making a prediction that the Fed might make. Um, what what do you think of this? I know it's funny to hear Elon just talking like a like an economist. But right, but that's but certainly, I mean, demand for car for new cars is slowing down. Demand for used Teslas has been going down too. As somebody who's actually vaguely been been shopping for one, the price is gradually coming to earth, and, and it's a luxury car ultimately. In a moment when if people may not be looking for luxury, you know, luxury things. Uh, let's switch gears here. I loved your. Uh, is it your last newsletter of the year, Ben? Um, and your your yes, yeah. It was great. And what I I loved uh, the message about sort of thanking your readers for returning to like trying to like embrace um, sanity and not all the yelling voices. But also you said something really interesting, Ben. You talked about what you believe is going to be this new year, the beginning of the end of uh, social media in journalism. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, all of us have sort of journalists in particular have been, you know, both we've been addicted to twitter our our companies have been addicted to facebook um just be, and over, over the last 10 years you know i was i was at buzzfeed before i was at the time certainly felt that you know that ride up of of seeing so much traffic so much attention and particularly attention to news run through these big social platforms and i think you know there's lots of interesting things happening at facebook happening at twitter but when you step away from that what you're seeing is just People who consume news finding that less and less a useful way to get it. I don't think a lot of people wake up in the morning and think the most efficient way to understand what's happening in the world is to look at one of these feeds. There's a level of chaos. They've shifted away from journalism as well in the interests of their their ownership, both of them. 
And so, um, and so I think that that opens a lot of space for, you know, morning news broadcasts, for email newsletters, for websites, old-fashioned things. But, Ben, they've always said and the for, cable is dying. Helping, helping did you, did you notice that the plug there, I Sarah, I did, but where are people going? I mean, I'm doing my best here, all right? <laughs> it's, 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 you know, the holiday spirit. But you, you ask a good question. Yeah, I mean, where are people going? Because if they're not going to, to social media, which is where everyone we thought was going to go, now what? Well, you know, the pendulum swings, and there's both all sorts of new things. But TikTok, for example, vastly the biggest and the most important of the new things, isn't social media, right? It's mostly entertainment. It's not, it's not 100 million people creating and 100 million people consuming. It's very tilted toward a relatively small number of creators. And then I think people are swinging back toward, you know, more conventional ways of consuming, um, which is to say editor, you know, human editors or algorithmic editors putting together what they think is the most interesting stuff for you so that you don't have to just sift through the chaos. Too much Curating. Alcohol. You know what I did last week? I was on vacation. I read books, oh, like physical, so actual, nice. wonderful books. And it was lovely to read those instead of Twitter. Thank you, Ben. Ben, thank you. Print, print is definitely the future. Yes. You know. All right. Print. I'm going to like put that on a plaque in my office. Ben, thank you. Um, let's talk about China, an unprecedented surge of COVID again in China. The country's top health authority announcing it will stop releasing daily case counts immediately. We'll talk about why. And the Taliban warning U.S. officials not to interfere after banning all female employees from working at any non-governmental organization. Oh, Welcome back to CNN This Morning. China is struggling with an unprecedented surge in COVID cases, but this may become a lot more difficult to track soon because the country's National Health Commission has decided they will stop publishing daily COVID case numbers. Selena Wang is live in Beijing for us this morning. I think the big question is why? Why now, after you know the zero COVID policy, all of these lockdowns and a dramatic shift, are they now not going to publish the numbers? Well, Poppy, health authorities, they're not saying why, but this decision was made after widespread criticism over just how unreliable the data was. So in the first 20 days of December, health authorities publicly reported less than 63,000 COVID cases, but leaked documents from China's top officials showed very different internal estimates that almost 250 million people may have caught COVID in that first 20 days. So if correct, that estimate, which CNN cannot independently confirm, it would mean this is the largest COVID outbreak to date globally. But Poppy, again, that information was not made public. And China also has only reported a small handful of COVID deaths for the whole month. But when I visited a crematorium in Beijing, body bags were piling up and those scenes they are playing out in major cities across this country. And that's part of what we were just seeing in the video on screen is, is body bags of you know corpses being put in what appear to be extra storage containers. That's how how severe it is. What about the medical system? How much strain is it under across China right now because of this surge? 
Yeah, Poppy, that is footage we took at the crematorium that mm. was very busy and overcrowded. And look, the medical system, it's under a huge amount of pressure. Even here in the capital, Beijing, which has some of the best medical resources in the country, doctors are saying they're overwhelmed with elderly patients with COVID symptoms. A doctor at Beijing United Family Hospital said there was no preparation for this wave of COVID cases, no stockpiling of medicine. There was this viral video I want to point to in the southern city of Guangzhou, and it shows this man kneeling on the ground at a fever clinic. He's breaking down, begging the nurse to let him see the doctor after waiting for hours. The nurse is kneeling, trying to calm him down, saying he may have to wait six to eight hours. It just speaks to some of the desperation we're seeing. Fever and cold medicine, also nearly impossible to get at drugstores. Antivirals, also very hard to get. But Beijing just announced it's going to start distributing Paxlovid to community health centers in the coming days. Wow. What a crisis. Selena Wang, thank you for the reporting from Beijing. From one crisis to the next, the Taliban have now banned women from working at aid organizations inside Afghanistan. And also, the Taliban issued a warning to the U.S. to not interfere in their internal affairs. This comes after the group, just days ago, banned women from attending universities. CNN's Nada Bashir joins us now live from London. Um, Nada, I, I, I want to ask you about, this is the one thing that everyone feared. Uh, I, I have been to Afghanistan many, many times, and the women there have always feared that this was what was going to eventually happen. What is the Taliban saying the reason for this is? You're absolutely right, Sarah. I mean, this was a huge concern for many women in Afghanistan. And of course, internationally, the concern now that this is a vital bridge uh, between Afghanistan and the international community, providing that almost life-saving support uh, for women and girls across the country. The Taliban has said that they have come to this decision, much as they did with the ban on university education for women last week, because of violations of what they believe are their Islamic values, namely dress code regulations, which are uh, very strict, which they have enforced since their takeover in Afghanistan, and also uh, relations and activities of women between men and women across the university sector, education sector, and now, crucially, in the aid sector. Now, that has been the response from the Taliban. As you said there, they've told the US not to interfere in their internal affairs. But we've already heard that condemnation from Secretary of State Antony Blinken saying he is deeply concerned by this development. Now, four aid agencies have pulled out. Crucial development there, a concerning development in a string of erosion of women's rights and freedoms in Afghanistan. It is going to make things harder for everyone. Nada Bashir, thank you so much for joining us. Well, inflation levels we have not seen in 40 years. Gas prices shooting up to record highs this past year. Christine Romans counts down the top 10 business stories of 2022. The recession debate raged, Elon Musk's chaotic Twitter takeover, and the energy market turmoil raised prices at the pump. These are the top business stories of 2022. Number 10, crypto crashed amid the downfall of its biggest exchange. Even flashy Super Bowl ads. Hmm. I don't think so. Couldn't hold off the chill of a crypto winter as investors ditched risky assets. Has the Bitcoin bubble finally burst, part of a crash that has cost investors more than a trillion dollars? A downturn made worse by the implosion of the world's largest crypto exchange, FTX, over claims it misused customer money. The $32 billion company that plunged into bankruptcy basically overnight. 
leaving millions of customers scrambling to recover funds. A class action suit for celebs who endorsed FTX. I'm getting into crypto. And attracting government scrutiny. Disgraced FTX founder Samuel Bankman-Fried, or SBF, saw his multi-billion dollar fortune evaporate. I think it might be $100,000 or something like that. Before being arrested on fraud and conspiracy charges, SBF's legal team says it's considering all options. Number nine, America faces a housing crisis. Americans are struggling to keep up with rising home prices. The pandemic altered the housing market. Delayed construction kept supply low while demand spiked, creating a crisis of affordability. Housing prices hit a record high in April. Prices are going up. Meanwhile, the Federal Reserve's inflation fight more than doubled mortgage rates. Mortgage rates now topping 7%, a 20-year high. Pricing out many Americans. How many properties do you think you've explored? Thousands. Thousands. Home sales dropped, while rental costs hit record highs. Number eight, Wall Street soured on streaming amid a slowdown. 2022 ushered in a new era for streaming services. Netflix lost 200,000 global subscribers. The last time Netflix lost subscribers was October 2011. Growing losses at Disney Plus. Streaming stocks tanked as the days of meteoric growth seemed to be over. So Netflix introduced ads, a move it had resisted, and will crack down on password sharing, while Disney saw a leadership shakeup. But all the major players revised plans, cutting costs to create profitable business models instead of relying on subscriber growth. Number seven, a nationwide rail strike looms and is averted not once, but twice. The first came in September. It would be the first nationwide rail strike in 30 years. Nearly one third of the nation's freight could come to a standstill. Rail workers working nonstop through the pandemic demanded better conditions as freight companies raked in record profits. Negotiations dragged on, threatening a fragile supply chain. So the White House stepped in with the labor secretary brokering an 11th hour deal. Labor unions and rail lines reaching a tentative last minute deal. But now this deal does go to the union members. But rank and file workers wanted paid sick time not included in the agreement. Workers at the biggest and most powerful rail union have voted down a tentative contract deal. And now you have four rail unions who have voted it down altogether. This time, Congress stepped in, passing a bill forcing workers to accept the deal. The joint resolution is passed. And stay on the job. Number six, Americans returned to the skies in record numbers, but airlines couldn't handle the influx. Experts are warning it's going to be a summer of travel hell. Some days saw thousands of flights delayed or canceled, especially over holiday weekends. 45,000 flight cancellations nationwide since the 1st of June. One major reason, not enough crew members. Airlines trimmed staff during the pandemic, so any disruption like bad weather sparked chaos. Number five, a rough year for Wall Street amid a tech wreck. The breathless post-COVID rally ended this year. The S&P 500 has fallen into what investors call a bear market. This was the worst day for the Dow since June of 2020. Investors reacted to rising prices and the Fed's aggressive campaign to fight them, raising the specter of a recession while also hurting high-growth stocks like tech. Tech stocks have plunged since the start of this year. 2022 was an awful year for tech companies. After years of unstoppable growth, profits declined, leading to hiring freezes 
and an alarming number of job cuts. Number four, the recession debate raged amid economic whiplash. COVID broke the economy, leading to a recovery full of conflicting signals. GDP shrank. Alarm bells are ringing for the U.S. economy tonight. The U.S. economy shrank for the second quarter in a row. That is the common definition of a recession. While big business voices offered dire warnings. If we're not in a recession right now, we're likely to be in one very soon. Customers who are more budget conscious that have been under inflation pressure now for months. I think policymakers should be prepared for the worst. But despite the gloom of hot inflation and higher rates, the U.S. economy was resilient. With the labor market so strong, companies were fighting for workers. There are 1.9 open jobs for every unemployed person. And people kept shopping, driving growth. Recession fears don't deter U.S. shoppers in a record-setting Black Friday. American shoppers shelled out an all-time high $11.3 billion. Wrapping up 2022 with the recession question still unanswered. Number three, Elon Musk's chaotic Twitter takeover. The billionaire began building his stake in January, becoming the largest Twitter shareholder before offering to buy the whole thing. Elon Musk makes a $41 billion hostile bid for Twitter. Musk wanted to unlock Twitter's potential. Twitter eventually agreed to sell itself before Musk did an about-face in May. Musk is trying to back out of buying the social media giant, saying Twitter is withholding vital information. Then came months of legal maneuvering, complicated by revelations from a whistleblower. The company's cybersecurity failures make it vulnerable to exploitation. Still, Musk eventually completed the deal instead of heading to trial. He immediately slashed jobs. Nearly half of the company's employees now out of a job. While rolling out other changes, including trying to launch paid verification and reinstating controversial figures, including former President Trump. Number two, energy market turmoil raised prices at the pump. Russia's war in Ukraine threatened oil supply, sending global prices soaring. That's a seven-year high. U.S. crude, in the meantime, multi-year highs, too. That affected gas prices. Gas prices here in the United States reach record highs. That's up by a staggering 60 cents in just one week. Many Americans couldn't afford to fill up the tank, so President Biden released oil from the Strategic Reserve and blasted U.S. oil companies. The profits are a windfall of war. While also asking them to pump more oil. He did the same of Saudi Arabia during a controversial visit in July. But OPEC Plus did the opposite, slashing production in October, an attempt to boost oil prices, finally weighed down by concerns over a global slowdown. Gas prices also fell, ending the year cheaper than before Russia invaded Ukraine. Number one, the Fed's aggressive fight to tame decades-high inflation. Americans paid high prices again this year. Inflation in the United States soaring to a new 40-year high. Across the board, you're paying way more for just about everything. So the central bank jacked up interest rates seven times to help, even rolling out bumper three-quarter point hikes four times in a row. And the Fed isn't finished. We continue to anticipate that ongoing increases will be appropriate. Some worry the Fed's higher rates will spark a recession. They're already shaking markets and raising credit and mortgage payments. But have they lowered consumer prices? There's no clear signal yet. One thing is for sure, the effects will continue to work their way through the economy into next year. Ahead, our coverage of the historic snowstorm continues. The latest from Buffalo, New York. And look at that picture. Just how the South also is dealing with this deep freeze coming up.
More CNN This Morning to come after the break. Good to see you again. The Buffalo Bills had to spend Christmas morning in Chicago after their win on Saturday. But they won. So they won. So, all right. The team ended up flying into Rochester yesterday at the, as the airport in Buffalo, as you might imagine, because it was crazy out there, remained closed. But they would land and see diehard Bills fans, of course, waiting to see them. CNN Sports' Carolyn Mano joins us now. Quite the welcome back for Buffalo. Yeah, you clinch the division and you have to shovel your car out, right? <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, as they acknowledge, so many people around the country yeah. are dealing with so much worse than them. They said emergency workers, everybody working hard than us. But it was wild. And you talk about Bills fans really showing up. I mean, they're some of the most passionate fans out there. And this is proof of that. I mean, the journey did not stop there, though, for Bills players. Once they landed in Rochester, they took the buses back to the facility <laughs> at Orchard Park. And this is where they would find their cars. They were completely buried. Bill Safety, Damar Hamlin, documenting this wild scene on Instagram. A terrible weather was just one of the themes of week 16 in the NFL, just like it's been all around the country. Um, the Bills last month had a home game move to Detroit, so grabbed a bunch of shovels, guys, and just had to awesome. had to dig their cars out. I mean, I NFL awesome. players just like the rest of us, I guess, exactly. right? Exactly. They're just, you know, like, they're just like us, yeah. <laughs> but with nicer cars. Yeah, and they're I actually tied for the best record in the conference yeah, as well, so they might great. have playoff games at home in January. So Buffalo just didn't they have to something move to a, keep. Didn't they have to move a Buffalo game? They did. Yeah, they, they went to, to Detroit last month. So something to keep an eye on for Buffalo fans. But that's why they're some of the best in the business. Uh, elsewhere in sports on Sunday, Tom Brady delivered a Christmas Day comeback. We've come to expect this. Tampa rallying to beat the Cardinals in overtime. There were a few times on Christmas night where he actually looked more like the Grinch than the man <laughs> in red. We've seen that this season as well. Most of the game not up to his standards. He threw a pair of interceptions to Marco Wilson in regulation. The second one coming while the game was tied at six in the third quarter. With eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, though, the Buccaneers would find themselves down 10. This is when Tom Brady really went to work. Third and goal here finds Rashad White to cut the Cardinals' lead down to three. And from there, Tampa Bay would force overtime. The 45-year-old quarterback, we have seen him do this time and time again. He completed all six of his passes on the drive for 69 yards, coming up clutch when it mattered. Kicker Ryan Suckup capping off Brady's 57th career game winning drive as the Bucks keep their playoff hopes alive with a 19-16 win. And elsewhere, the Dolphins taking on the Packers. It was 46 degrees at kickoff, the coldest home game since 1989 for Miami. But that did not seem to bother the Dolphins one bit early on, at least. Tua finding Jalen Waddle here for the 84-yard touchdown in the opening quarter. Good luck catching him when he takes off like that. Second half, though, was all Packers. A.J. Dillon running this one in for the score in the third quarter to tie the game up at 20. And then in the fourth, it was Green Bay's defense that really came to life and might have saved the Packers' season. Going to be tough for them, but they would pick off two at three straight times. The final one coming with just about 90 seconds left to seal the 26-20 win. So grabbed a bunch of shovels, guys, and just had to had to dig their cars out. I mean, I NFL awesome. players just like the rest of us, I guess, exactly. right? Exactly. They're just, you know, like, they're just like us, yeah. <laughs> but with nicer cars. Yeah, and they're I actually assume. tied for the best record in the conference as yeah, well, so they might great. have 
playoff games at home in January. So Buffalo just didn't they have to move? A, keep, didn't they have to move a Buffalo game? They did. Yeah, they they went to Detroit to last month. So something to keep an eye on for Buffalo fans. But that's why they're some of the best in the business. Uh, elsewhere in sports on Sunday, Tom Brady delivered a Christmas Day comeback. We've come to expect this. Tampa rallying to beat the Cardinals in overtime. There were a few times on Christmas night where he actually looked more like the Grinch than the man <laughs> in red. We've seen that this season as well. Most of the game not up to his standards. He threw a pair of interceptions to Marco Wilson in regulation. The second one coming while the game was tied at six in the third quarter. With eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, though, the Buccaneers would find themselves down 10. This is when Tom Brady really went to work. Third and goal here finds Rashad White to cut the Cardinals' lead down to three. And from there, Tampa Bay would force overtime. The 45-year-old quarterback, we have seen him do this time and time again. He completed all six of his passes on the drive for 69 yards, coming up clutch when it mattered. Kicker Ryan Suckup capping off Brady's 57th career game-winning drive as the Bucks keep their playoff hopes alive with a 19-16 win. And elsewhere, the Dolphins taking on the Packers. It was 46 degrees at kickoff, the coldest home game since 1989 for Miami. But that did not seem to bother the Dolphins one bit early on, at least. Tua finding Jalen Waddle here for the 84-yard touchdown in the opening quarter. Good luck catching him when he takes off like that. Second half, though, was all Packers. A.J. Dillon running this one in for the score in the third quarter to tie the game up at 20. And then in the fourth, it was Green Bay's defense that really came to life and might have saved the Packers' season. Going to be tough for them, but they would pick off two or three straight times. The final one coming with just about 90 seconds left to seal the 26-20 win. So if these games are any indication, guys, the next two weeks, the final two weeks of the season are going to be completely wild. A lot of teams still in the playoff hunt right now. You forgot one. (laughs) The Vikings. Yeah, oh, I know. You've been Hello. talking about that all morning. Yeah, it's crazy. very excited. I mean, we'll the, Rams the, yeah, yeah, the Rams aren't in it. The Rams aren't in it, but the, they did won 51 to 14. I would okay, like so to point Rams, out. Vikings, I'm writing this down. <laughs> I will have this ready the next time. Yes. All right, thank Carolyn, you. Carolyn, thank you. Sure. <laughs> CNN This Morning continues right now. It is devastating. It is going to a war zone. We have a real challenge right now where we have roads blocked. Roads are literally blocked by emergency vehicles, so that has made it extremely challenging for us. Good morning, everyone. We are so glad you are with us here on CNN this morning. Don and Caitlin have the day off. Sarah Seidner, we are lucky she is by my side this morning. Thank you for being here. I'm happy to be here. The city of Buffalo is buried this morning by the worst winter storm in its history. The death toll has also risen overnight. We'll take you there live. Holiday travel torture. Thousands of flights that are delayed and canceled, impacting millions of air passengers and countless holiday gatherings. Over 10 million people are facing a freeze alert this morning across the South, and that includes parts of Florida. Historic, epic, deadly, a devastating winter storm burying western New York State. At least 17 weather-related deaths have now been reported, most of those in Buffalo. Governor Kathy Hochul requesting emergency disaster relief from the Biden administration. A state of emergency remains in effect. This paralyzing weather event brought the region to its knees. More than 12,000 customers remain without power in Erie County at this very hour. Most of the outages are in Buffalo. An additional 200 National Guard troops have been deployed to Western New York to assist with the state's emergency response. Polo Sandoval has been live all weekend for us. It is still snowing there, Polo. How are you and the team doing? 
We're doing well, you know, but uh, there are people here in Buffalo that are certainly having a very, very difficult time with this area. You know, travel is torturous in other parts of the country, but here in Buffalo and what is widely considered as ground zero of this massive uh, winter storm, it's nearly impossible. Plus, it's also uh, restricted right now with a driving ban still in place here in Buffalo. They're going to obviously reassess. But the thing is, you know, we woke up to this uh, to this snowfall. There was a break in the clouds over the weekend. We actually finally saw the sun. So that gave uh, utility crews and public works crews an opportunity to actually go through some of these streets and clear them out. But the concern now is with this fresh coat of snow falling at about an inch an hour, we are expected, according to local forecasters here from the National Weather Service, expecting potentially a foot of snow uh, when everything is said and done on top of what we already received. So that is certainly fueling the concerns right now and why that driving ban is going to remain in place here in Buffalo. Uh, you mentioned some of the deaths. Unfortunately, uh, just a little over a dozen deaths already confirmed in and around Buffalo. Uh, that's a mix of individuals that uh, experienced a medical emergency during the storm and EMS simply couldn't get to them over the weekend. And then you also have at least two individuals, including a 22-year-old woman who was found dead inside of one of the stranded vehicles that were reported out of hundreds of them over the weekend. But really, just what will tell you everything, Sarah, is that the rescuers needed rescuing this weekend. And that is why, for the first time ever in the history of the Buffalo Fire Department, they were unable to respond to calls at one point over the weekend. But now at least those winds uh, have subsided significantly. The temperature is at least manageable. Um, and except for the snowfall, uh, we are still continuing to experience these winter conditions here in Buffalo, and the full relief may not come for another day or two, according to local forecasters. Wow. It's, it's crazy to see that much snow still coming after the whole weekend. And I know, Polo, you're yeah. there, I think, with Tom and Nicole still. They have been out in this, like, four Thanks for days. for naming the team, but yeah. it's a yeah. true team effort, Polo. We've both been in it before. We thank you and the whole it team. It sure is. For, Absolutely. For being there. Thank you, friend. All right. Well, this morning, a Buffalo family is very grateful for the help of firefighters who came to the rescue in a big way and saved Christmas. The family of six, including four children ages nine months, two years old, four years old and eight years old. They were left stranded after trying to find a hotel after losing power at their home. They ended up stuck on an impassable road like others who were just looking for a warm place to stay. After being rescued, the firefighters invited the whole family to spend Christmas at the firehouse with them, right? How picture perfect is that? Joining us now, I'm so happy to have the parents, Danielle and Demetrius Tisdale, along with Joel Eberth and Mike Karuba of the Buffalo Airport Fire Department. Thank you guys, and you have the kids, including one sleeping, yeah, maybe? Sleeping child, so perfect. Yeah, this uh, is their first night, and so they're they're kind of tired. This is their first night home, so they're pretty tired. But we just still wanted to get them all along so you guys could see, you know, the family all together. What a beautiful, blessed family you have. Aiden, eight, Aubrey, four, Jordan, two, and nine-month-old Judah. Merry Christmas to you guys. Um, Mom and Dad. Merry Christmas. Mom and Dad, how you doing? Because if they're tired, I know you're tired. Uh, pretty tired, but blessed. Can you talk to me about Very blessed with the whole situation. What was it like? Scary. I'll let my wife. Um, it was it was very it was very intense. Um, we tried to keep it together for as long as possible because we didn't want to frighten the kids. But I've never seen anything like it. 
Um, it's almost like a cliche when you hear people say you couldn't see your hand in front of your face, but I can just describe it as it was like looking at a white piece of construction paper. You couldn't see anything at all, like absolutely nothing until you were probably about a foot away from it. Even cars with their bright lights on, you just couldn't see anything. Not yellow traffic signs, not orange traffic cones. You couldn't see anything. You couldn't see a stoplight. So it's like you kind of just had to drive through the intersections praying, praying, basically. Wow. And there you are, Danielle, and you've got your four kids. And I know as a mom, that's all you're thinking about, right, is how do I get these kids to safety? Absolutely, absolutely. When, when we lost power, we have um, electric appliances, and we live out in, like, a country area um, of Buffalo called Williamsville. So when we lost power, because we had electric appliances, we were unable to just, like, how to heat our house with like our stove or anything like that. And the conditions were deteriorating so fast. It was dropping in our home maybe about two degrees every 10 minutes. And because we had the children, if it would have just been me and my husband, we would have just tried to stick it out on our own. But because we had the children, that just wasn't a choice for us. So we packed our bags, packed the suitcase as quick as we possibly could and just tossed in essentials. And we jumped in the car and just tried to make it to a hotel. Well, let me let me bring in uh, the folks who helped you guys out. Uh, Assistant Chief Joel Eberth is with us and also Mike Kruba. Guys, thanks so much for for being here and for for what you did. Assistant Chief uh, Eberth, let me just begin with you and talk to me about the rescue experience and what you guys were able to do to pull off a little bit of a Christmas miracle. Well, we received a call from a person who was having a medical emergency in the tunnel and come to find out uh, they had helped this family get into the tunnel and then they in turn helped him after he began to have a panic attack. So when we got out to a tunnel that goes under the airfield, uh, we found a lot of stranded motorists and people in need. So it took us a long time to get out there. Um, Firefighter Karuba was instrumental in bringing in other resources to help us start bringing all of these families and people back to the firehouse. And Mike, he's talking about you and what you did. Once you get, you, you see this family and you think, all right, they're coming with us, right? I'm gonna take them to where I know it's safe. Talk to me about that yeah, we, experience and then also, you know, pulling off a little Christmas miracle for the morning. <laughs> yeah, when uh, we finally got to them, uh, it took us a little bit, obviously, because of conditions. Um, they were one of the first vehicles we came up, uh, upon and Demetrius says he opened his window. He said, please don't leave us. And, uh, I said, don't worry, man, I promise we won't, we won't leave you, but we have other strand of motors we got to tend to. So I walked down to the other end of the tunnel and we, uh, I think about probably 20 or 30 more motors were at the other end. So we scooped them up and organized a plan to come back, uh, get all these people to our firehouse. And, uh, we tried to get like a convoy back to the firehouse with pickup trucks in front and uh, SUVs in back, pile everybody in vehicles. We got about probably 40 feet out of the tunnel because um, that was our safe haven at the time uh, underneath the runway. And we we were stuck. So I was at the back of the pack walking behind the vehicles to make sure we didn't lose any. Um, unfortunately, the half the first half made it back and uh, we were stuck in the back. So it was time for an audible. So again, uh, Demetrius was, was 
pretty shaken up and he said, just please don't leave us. I just told him, I said, I'll never, I'll never leave you. And, uh, at that time it was, it was trying, it was time to, uh, get some resources to help us out. So I, uh, requested from, uh, one of our local volunteer agencies, uh, Highview Fire Department. They have, a an Argo, an, uh, off-road vehicle. So got a hold of them and, uh, they got to us. They said, we'll be right over as fast as we can. About 45 minutes later, they were there and, uh, we had to walk them back just so we could see. I mean, vis- visibility was zero. Wow. And, you know, the snow, the drifts were four or five feet high at the time. So Jeez. we made it happen. We were just super fortunate to be able to help people and yeah. kind of make their Christmas. Wow. And I bet those smiles from those kids made your Christmas as well. Demetrius, Dad, last word to you. What was it like waking up on Christmas morning? I think Santa, Santa came, right? Santa came. It was very awesome. Those guys were amazing at the firehouse. Um, they treated us with nothing but love and um, welcomed us with open arms. We felt like family there. They even cooked for the kids and everything, pancakes. Um, it was just a beautiful experience. Like, this is something we'll never forget. We actually feel like we're family with those guys. Yes. And, and, and it was a, it, they made it a beautiful Christmas. The, the smiles on my kids' faces yes. were priceless. Wow. The best kind of stories with a happy, happy ending in the middle of a real tragedy for, for other families who, who lost loved ones. Guys, thank you very much to all of you, especially you kiddos. You're being way better than my kids would be on national television. That's for sure. Merry <laughs> Christmas, everyone. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. Have a blessed Go New Bills. Year. Go Bills. <laughs> Go Bills. Go Bills. Go Bills. Sarah. That is the Christmas story we all needed this morning, though. A little bit of bad news for you. Sorry to bring the mood down. More than 1,400 flights have been canceled nationwide, leaving thousands of travelers stranded and frustrated thanks to frigid temperatures and black ice. The world's busiest airport, Atlanta, has the most disruptions. CNN's Carlos Suarez live there at Hartsfield-Jackson Atlanta International with more i see that families are there they've brought their dogs which makes me smile but they are in line and waiting what's happening at this hour well sarah good morning you really cannot walk too far around this airport at this hour without running into a line things really are a bit of a mess there's one guy out here with delta airlines who's trying to sort things out for travelers but really the airport is as packed as we've seen and we've been here since about saturday considering all of these canceled flights at this hour out of hartsfield jackson international airport we're looking at 146 canceled flights and the lines again they're about as long as you can see them on this side here you've got folks that are just trying to drop off their bags other folks need to see a ticket uh, agent to see if they can get on another flight because their flight is canceled over by tsa pre-check well that line is also the longest that we have seen uh, throughout the weekend now when you take a look at the numbers across the u.s as you said coming out to me we're looking at well over 1,400 flights that have been canceled because of all of this cold weather that has moved over a good part of the country that number just yesterday was well over 3,000 flights and of course we're talking about thousands more flights that have been delayed we caught up with one guy a few minutes ago he was trying to make it out to las vegas for what he said was a party but he wasn't able to do that he came to the airport he's making this line right now just to see if the airline can get him on a flight at some point this week here's what he told us leaving atlanta to vegas got canceled and vegas to reno got canceled so two separate you know uh 
Delta and Southwest got canceled today, so this is um, unfortunate. I, I literally found out about my Southwest flight uh, while going to the kiosk for the Delta, and then I, Delta flight got canceled, so I don't know. So I'm just in line right now, hoping to you know, get home today, if not tomorrow. And so he is now on his third flight with two airlines. Uh, again, uh, Atlanta really has been one of the busiest spots when it comes to uh, the overall number of canceled flights. However, Denver International is not too far behind. They're kind of going back and forth. Ladies. Carlito Suarez, thank you so much for joining us. Sending <laughs> them all luck that they get on flights soon. All right. This morning, 10 million people across the South remain under freeze alerts. The city of Jackson, Mississippi, has once again issued a boil water notice as frigid temperatures trigger breaks in their water lines. That is the last thing they need, right? Martin Savage, who joins us live from Atlanta, they just went through this water crisis. And now this. Right. They've had a terrible year when it comes to water. They've had a terrible number of years when it comes to the water system in Jackson, Mississippi. But as you point out, it was cold in the south here. The biggest problem we get is burst pipes. And that's been the problem in Jackson, Mississippi. It's suspected that underwater main lines have ruptured. So on Christmas Day, people had to line up to get water that was being delivered in a number of places within the city. Water pressure dropped. That meant the filtration plants suffered as a result of boil order in effect. You'll remember back in August, after heavy rains, the system went into a partial collapse due to problems that they have. And these are systemic problems that are going back decades of neglect, of improper funding. There are a number of investigations underway. That uh, budget bill that was just passed by Congress, I believe there's $600 million there focusing on repairing the Jackson water system. But the city believes it will take well over a billion dollars to do that. It shows you the fragility of water in Jackson and how it continues to be problematic for the residents there. Boil order until further notice, and, Poppy. Wow, and so necessary for, for everyone, yeah. and especially in a crisis like this. Martin, thank you very much for the reporting. You're welcome. An update now for you on former President Trump's tax returns. The House Ways and Means Committee is telling CNN they will be released to the public post-Christmas. Melanie Zanona is live in Washington for CNN this morning. Um, do we have any true idea? Is there a date uh, that we're certainly going to see these documents? Well, Sarah, we do know it will be this week because this is the very last week before Democrats hand over power to Republicans. This has been a four-year-long legal battle. Uh, but we did learn some key information last week because Democrats did release two reports about their investigation into the IRS presidential auto system. And what we did learn is that the IRS did not audit President Donald Trump in 2017 or 2018. In fact, the IRS did not start auditing Trump until April 2019, the very same day that Chairman Neal asked for Trump's tax returns. Democrats also revealed how much or how little Trump actually paid in income tax while he was president. In 2017, for example, he only paid $750 in income tax. And in 2020, he paid $0 in income tax. Uh, and finally, Democrats also revealed this pattern of, that Trump had of generating huge net operating losses, 
carrying those forward for years so that essentially he could zero out his tax liability. But there is still a lot more we could learn from those tax documents. The committee is just taking time to redact them. We should learn more about Trump's finances, how wealthy he is, how much he gave to charity. And so this just really caps off a four-year-long legal battle, and it's a big victory for Democrats and a big loss for Donald Trump. It'll be interesting to see what are in those documents. Melanie Zanona, thank you so much. Ahead, the White House blaming the governor of Texas for shipping busloads of migrants to to the vice president's home in bitter cold weather. Also ahead for us, how two women helped find a kidnapped five-month-old baby in Indianapolis. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. This week, the Supreme Court is expected to rule on whether to keep the controversial Trump-era border restriction known as Title 42 in place. It allows border officials to deny people the right to seek asylum. This as several busloads of migrants were dropped off in front of Vice President Kamala Harris's residence on Christmas Eve in 18-degree weather, many of them wearing T-shirts. The nonprofit group SAMU First Response was prepared, though, for the arrivals. The group's managing director wrote on Twitter, My team spent Christmas Eve giving their best, supporting migrants that arrived at night from the border. A very different Christmas for all of us, but I feel so proud to count with such an amazing group of humanitarians. And joining us now is the managing director for SAMU First Response, Tatiana Laborde. Uh, SAMU, by the way, start, this stands for Servicio Ambulatorio Medico de Urgencia. Um, I thank you for coming on. Can you give me a, a sense of what it was like? Uh, did any of the migrants have any idea where they were going? Good morning and thank you for having me. Yes, a majority of them already uh, reached their final destination. We had about 60% of those migrants that were heading to New York City to either uh, shelters there or to meet friends and family. And this is a pattern we've been seeing over the past couple months. What did you and your staff um, see when you got there and experience? So uh, we were prepared for very cold weather, so there were blankets available for all migrants and we already had a respite center uh, ready to receive them. We had warm food and our team was there um, understanding that Washington was not their final destination and ready to help them move forward. Do you have a sense that Texas governor has not at this point um, said anything or responded to to, to comments uh, from the White House that they believe uh, that Governor Abbott is responsible for sending the buses there? Um, Do you have any sense of, you know, how you decided they came from Texas? Did they tell you that? Yeah, we got a heads up from one of the nonprofits at the border that these buses were heading our way. We were expecting them yesterday morning, uh, but they showed up uh, the night before. Thankfully, we had enough time to shift our, our logistics for Christmas Eve. Tatiana, what do you make of the fact that they were dropped off uh, in front of the vice president's home? Well, at this point, they've been doing that for so many months that we have the system already down. And it's just another another spot that, that has very little impact. We have buses on site ready to just move them quickly and get them to a safe place. Do you think this is, as the White House has said, it's sort of a, a cruel um, decision um, being made with, with people's lives? 
Well, there's two ways to look at it, right? The way they're doing it is extremely inhumane, but it is a service to the migrants. A lot of them don't want to stay in Texas. A large majority keep wanting to go up north, so this gets them closer and it, it gets them away from places that have very little connectivity into metropolitan areas where taking a bus is much easier or a train or a, a plane. So if it's done correctly, uh, it could really help ease in the tensions at the border. Uh, how is your staff able to, to support all of the people coming in? Well, we've been doing this for seven months now. We now have a staff of 35 and we're able to take shifts so that nobody um, is extremely overtired. Now doing this on Christmas Eve, when you have a staff of Latinos, where that's our uh, main celebration, um, it's extremely taxing, but they were all very happy to be able to share and, and give a little um, hope and a warm welcome to these migrants. The migrants are here legally, as we understand it. They are seeking asylum. Um, and so what do you make of how they have been treated? And what are they telling you about their journey? So the, the journey on, on bus is extremely long. They get not the best food. They get uh, meals ready to eat, military food. So they are exhausted when they come here. They're also now, because of winter, experiencing very, very different uh, temperatures that they're used to. So it's a first shock of what's coming ahead in the winter. But at the end of the day, what we see on them is, is that hope that they are, that they've made it to where they really want to be and they're able to provide their family uh, a better future. I do want to ask you quickly about at border towns. Um, you know, El Paso, I've spoken to a councilwoman there who has talked about this crisis and she says there is no doubt there's a crisis and that they are inundated uh, with people. What can the border states like Texas do to sort of um, streamline this process? Absolutely. And what they're seeing is much worse than what we see here. This, the about three buses is just a small portion of what they um, experience on a day-to-day. If things like this are done in a coordinated and humane manner, it could really be a good option for those border towns that are struggling. Tatiana Laborde, thank you so much for joining us uh, and sharing the experience of those migrants and your work. Thank Thank you. Amazing work that they do. This morning, a family reunited after police located a missing five-month-old in a stolen car in Indianapolis. The ordeal began a week ago in Columbus, Ohio, when a mother went into a restaurant to pick up an order, leaving her twin sons inside the running vehicle. That car was stolen. One baby was found the next morning. Jean Casares joins us now. Do I understand this right, that she was working she was actually delivering meals, right? She was Working. a DoorDash right. delivery driver, right. and she was picking up the order. She was just trying to do her job. Yes, she was working. You're not going to believe this story. And the twins, the babies, are in the back seat. She comes out with the order, and the car is gone, and the babies are gone. Now, this was December 19th, all right? So on December 20th, of course, there's an all-points bulletin. It gets on the, the news, and there is a kidnapping suspect they're looking for. But on the 20th, one of the babies, which is Kyer Thomas, was found on the side of the road near the Dayton International Airport. So one baby was found unharmed, going to be okay, but where's the other one? And so after that, on the very same day, December 20th, ironically, 175 miles away in Indianapolis, Indiana, a woman, her name is Cheyenne Delmar, she starts to have an interaction with this lady. She doesn't know who she is, but they interact. They exchange phone numbers. She actually drove in her car. And afterwards, she saw the picture 
on the television of this suspect. And she said to herself, that's the woman I just talked with. She talks to her cousin, Mecca Curry, and they say, look, we got to figure something out here. So they arrange a meeting with the alleged kidnapping suspect. They bring police in. There's an arrest. Wow. And that happens on December 22nd. However, where's the baby, the other baby, Quezon Tomas? And so after that, the two women say, you know what? She dropped off a bus schedule in our car. Let's go to all the bus terminals here in Indianapolis, see if we find a car that matches the description. They didn't, but they got hungry. They went to the pizza place close by, and there, lo and behold, they saw just the car. There was a baby inside. Police were inside the pizza restaurant eating because they'd been searching, too, and had to rest. I want you to listen to what the Indianapolis Police wow. Department uh, officials that were there at the scene and effectuated finding the baby have to say. It was time for us to kind of decompress because we were disappointed that we could not find him. And then uh, God opened up the heavens to us and almost took him and put him right in our hands. We're surprised at um, how well he responded considering what he, the ordeal that he had been through. Now, 24-year-old Nala Jackson is facing extradition back to Ohio. And this is no joke. She's charged with two felony counts of kidnapping. They are life felonies. But look at the ending to that story. As the officer said, opened up the heaven. What a Christmas what, miracle. What a miracle. Jean Casares, we are glad those babies are okay and the mothers reunited. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. What a story. With markets down significantly this year and massive layoffs throughout the United States workforce in recent months, the question on many folks' minds, is a recession on the horizon? I hate to use the R word this early in the morning, but we're going to talk about it next. Welcome back to CNN This Morning. Coming up, Congress passing the first legislative response to the January 6th Capitol attack, making it harder to overturn a certified presidential election. But will that be enough? Also, air raid sirens and blackouts interrupting the first Christmas in Ukraine since the war began. We are live on the ground in Kyiv. Plus, conditions in Buffalo, New York, remain dire after the city was pummeled with snow and strong winds. The governor calling it the most devastating storm in Buffalo's long storied history. We'll speak to the Erie County executive just ahead. Meantime, 2022, we're still in it. We got one more week of this year. <laughs> it's been volatile to say the least for the economy. Just a few days to go until the new year. Wall Street ending uh, looks like on a down note there. Investors are hoping for a Santa Claus rally to soften the blow for a rough year for stocks. There are fears, though, about a recession and what that means for 2023. Joining us now, CNN International correspondent Mark Stewart. It's good to have you. Good to see you. Uh, I don't like recession or no recession, <laughs> it's about what you're living, what you're feeling. And have you lost your job? How does it impact Absolutely. your financial situation? That's the real question. Right. Some people are going to argue that we're already in a recession, depending on how your life is at the moment. But from a technical standpoint, I can say with certainty we will see a recession. The question is, are we going to hit those metrics three months from now, six months from now, a year from now? The White House seems to be pretty optimistic. It's pointing out to recession or to uh, inflation cooling, uh, solid jobs. Yet the IMF, for the global perspective, says that people are hurting 
and we'll be hurting more. Look, I think back to grad school. I remember my professors showing us these charts of economic ups and downs. Things don't stay good forever. Things don't stay bad forever. And that's what we're balancing right now. So eventually, technically, we will hit a low point. As my mother says, if you want change, just wait. Yeah. It's in true. Life. It's like the weather. <laughs> I am impatient, as we all are. Um, the Fed has, has raised interest rates time and time and time again um, to, to try, I guess, to deal with inflation. Has it worked? Well, I think the White House, for the moment, is arguing that, yes, it's working, because if we look at the data from last month, consumer prices did drop. But it's risky. I mean, you are basically trying to make things more expensive to stop people from spending. This is what's interesting about inflation. And this is something that Chairman Powell from the Federal Reserve has talked about. The longer inflation extends, we get used to it. We're used to pay. We'll become used to paying outrageously high prices. And then it becomes more difficult to quell. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about working. What's We're that? We're all here this working is, the day this after is Christmas. This dear to our heart. <laughs> I'm not going to complain. I took a week off. I'm happy to be back. However, yes. there's this great, uh, really fascinating Paul Krugman op-ed in the New York Times talking about America versus especially Europe. Right. Well, I was telling you, I spent some time working in the United Kingdom, and my colleague made it very clear to me, Mark, I do enjoy working with you. I enjoy the projects we're doing, but we have a very clearly defined workday. And I think he said that to me to to make it be known that you're in a different part of the world and the philosophy is different. The question is, it's about productivity. Are you getting as much done in this designated time compared to others. And as we look into Europe, you look at the chart right now, people are working fewer hours in, in France, Germany, and many other places, but but work is getting done and people may be happier. Right. Uh, I thought it, this this piece, Krugman points out that the United States is, is unique among high-income developed economies to have no legal requirements, not a single legal requirement for paid leave or paid vacation. And I was going to say, some companies, though, it may be a small amount, are saying that, yes, you have to take time off now. Maybe that's a lesson from the pandemic. I I was texting with a friend of mine last night. She runs a nonprofit in Nashville, and she shut down her whole office between now and the new year. And that's part of the compensation package. I mean, that's a benefit. I don't know if we would have seen that a year ago or two years ago. I mean, I think there is some recognition that, I hate to use this phrase, work-life balance, but it does have some importance. I mean, of course Burnout is a real thing, and I think a lot of people experience that yeah. as they were trying to deal you sort of with COVID and trying to balance all of these things. So I'm for the four-day work week. Can you make Amen. that happen? Amen. <laughs> well, as you said, look, we have our phones. We were just talking right. about this in the break. Yeah, I mean, we can do more at our homes. And I think... As, as I mature, as I become a, a more senior member of the workforce, <laughs> I think I work smarter. And I think a lot of people yeah. are realizing that, too. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. You bet. Thank you so much, Mark. President Biden has had one of the most successful legislative years in decades. But does that success mean he is definitely going to run again in 2024? And a wave of smash and grab break-ins hitting retailers during this peak holiday season. How those crimes could be impacting what you pay in the months to come. More CNN This Morning to come after the break.
Retail theft is getting more violent and dangerous across the country, according to police who say the culprits are involved in organized crime rings and they are making off with millions of dollars in stolen goods. Many of the crimes are caught on video. CNN's Vanessa Yurkevich has the story. Caught on camera, smash and grab break-ins, giving retailers across the country a run for their money during peak season. This man seen openly dragging $5,000 worth of merchandise, police say, out the front door of a Burlington coat factory in Florida. He laughed in our face, laughed in the employee's face, and basically they had no regard. Break-ins at Walmart, jewelry stores, and a Toys for Tots warehouse just before the holidays. We're missing about two-thirds of toys. This as retail theft has become more violent this year, with 80% of retailers reporting more aggressive incidents. Is it becoming more dangerous now? Yeah, it's definitely. The suspects are becoming more violent. Whatever product it is that they're seeking, um, they're going to get it. And uh, those that step in their way uh, can be harmed, and they have been harmed. And for some small business owners, it's getting worse. 56% say they've been victims of shoplifting in the past year, forcing some to raise prices. November 17th. This window was broken out. Dana Green says her store, Restock Sneakers in Virginia, was broken into not once. But on November 27th, they broke this window. But twice in 10 days. The first time was shocking. The second time was even just more devastating to me. She estimates the thieves, teenagers, some who were caught, took and damaged $40,000 worth of sneakers during her busiest shopping season of the year. As far as the damage to the windows and to the store, about $5,000 worth of damage, which is a huge setback for a small business. But isolated smash and grab theft is just the tip of the iceberg. Organized retail crime rings are what law enforcement is after. These networks can make millions off stolen goods. How big of an operation is this really? It's huge. Just like you know, I get up every day, I go to work. Um, these people get up every day with a mission to, to steal. Organized retail theft is a large part of the industry's $100 billion in lost product. Major retail executives from Walmart and Target are sounding the alarm. Theft is an issue. It's higher than what has historically been. If that's not corrected over time, prices will be higher. We expect it will reduce our gross margin by more than $600 million for the full year. The irony, industry experts say, is that some of the very products stolen from store shelves eventually make their way back and into customers' hands. As it works its way through commerce, um, goes to wholesalers, goes to distributors, um, and then we end up buying it back. Vanessa Yurkevich, CNN, New York. Our thanks to Vanessa for that story. The winter storm blamed for 17 deaths now in western New York. Most of those deaths are in the Buffalo area, in Erie County to be specific. We will talk to the Erie County executive just ahead. Also, a member of the January 6th committee now saying the electoral, electoral college reform should be Congress's next priority. We should elect the president the way we elect governors, senators, mayors, representatives, everybody else. Whoever gets the most votes wins. The electoral college now, which has given us 
five popular vote losers as president in our history, twice in this century alone, um, has become a danger, not just to democracy, but to the American people. It was a danger on January 6th. There's so many um, curving byways and nooks and crannies in the Electoral College that there are opportunities for a lot of strategic mischief. We should elect the president the way we elect governors, senators, mayors, representatives, everybody else, whoever gets the most votes wins. That was Congressman Jamie Raskin um, pointing to what he calls a need for electoral college reform as the next priority to safeguard democracy. This coming as the January 6th committee released its long-anticipated final report with the historic recommendation that former President Donald Trump be criminally prosecuted and not be able to hold public office again. In a New York Times op-ed, CNN political analyst Julian Zeisler, uh, sorry, I'm slurring your last name, says there's still a lot that needs to be done. He writes, as the water with Watergate roadmap, the January 6th report doesn't put an end to the crisis of American democracy. If there is any criticism to be made of the committee's report, it is that it focuses so much on former President Donald Trump and his accomplices and does not do enough to emphasize the urgent imperative to move forward with institutional reforms to protect America's election. Julian joins us now. Um, you are the author of an upcoming book, and you've written many books, so you are an overachiever, I know, but this is the latest one, Myth America. Historians take on the biggest legends and lies about our past. All right, you took a look at this. This is an 845-page document, uh, so a lot to read. You compare this report to, to Watergate. Can you explain? Sure, there was a road, a road map put together by a special prosecutor, Leon Jaworski, in 1974, and he basically handed off uh, this documentation to the House Judiciary Committee, which was the evidence that led uh, toward impeachment. And Watergate was a crisis of the presidency, uh, and I talked about what happened after Watergate, what happened after Nixon resigned, and we had almost a decade of political reform that tried to correct the political system from what was exposed. Yeah, and I think that's the question now, and you raise a good point. I mean, what, what happened after was, you know, a pardon. Um, and, and so I say that because I'm talking about Nixon. That brings up what one of Trump's lawyers now, uh, Tim Parlatore, said on CNN this weekend, calling the criminal referral by this committee to the Justice Department, quote, worthless. He's saying it doesn't matter one bit. What you're talking about here is the history of what happens in terms of reforming the system. Exactly. I mean, uh, Congressman Raskin is now pointing to that kind of conversation. You don't just focus on the individual uh, who did wrong, though that is extremely important. And it's an important part of the January 6th report. But you also have to look at how politics works. After Watergate, we reformed campaign finance. We reformed ethics rules. And I think this crisis has revealed all sorts of vulnerabilities in our electoral system that really need to be addressed over the next few years. I want to talk to you about the, the timing of all this, because Watergate was a certain point in time. And eventually, uh, many the Republicans did end up saying, enough, we are going to, to, to do something about this. But you have a little bit of a different scenario here. All of the Republicans are not on the same, uh, on the same page with this. So do you see reform being a real possibility, for example, the electoral college reform? 
Well, look, we just passed one reform and it had bipartisan support. That's of the Electoral Count Act. It was part of this big omnibus legislation. It makes it harder for the vice president to ever try to tamper with the election results. It makes it harder for members of Congress to challenge the results from the state. So it just passed. And we need to think of this as a long-term project. Not everything has to happen in the next year, but reform has to happen in the next five or six years. And I think more is possible, especially if Republicans feel they are suffering as a result of former President Trump at the ballot box. Quickly, Julian, before you go, I just want your your sort of counter argument to what Congressman Raskin is saying. What Remind people why the Electoral College was formed and the benefits that it holds. Well, the supporters say it supports smaller states and uh, that because you have this measure, smaller states get attention in elections. But there are many critics of that. They feel it's outdated and they feel we should move to a more direct system. That's a very hard reform to achieve. We've tried this before. Uh, but again, it's an important conversation that we need to look at. It's about whether it represents the majority of the people in the country, yeah. I think, in, in part. Yeah. Yeah. Julian Zelizer, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And CNN This Morning Great. continues right now. We are in a war. This is a war with Mother Nature. And she has been hitting us with everything she has. This will go down in history as the most uh, devastating storm in Buffalo's uh, long story history of having uh, battled many battles, many, many major storms. Well, good morning, everyone. In Buffalo, they're waking up to a lot of snow, deadly snow. We're glad you're with us on CNN This Morning. I'm Poppy Harlow alongside Sarah Seidner. It is Monday, the 26th of December. Welcome to CNN This Morning. And you were just listening to New York Governor Kathy Hochul describing what has been unprecedented in terms of the pain suffered this weekend by the good people of Buffalo. She calls this winter storm the most devastating in the city's history. We'll take you there live. This weather event is directly responsible for the deaths of at least 37 people overall across the entire country. Now, in Buffalo, search teams believe they are likely to find more victims who've been trapped in their cars for over two days in that. Right now, there is a state of emergency in western New York. At least 17 weather-related deaths are being reported, most of them in that Buffalo region. New York's governor has requested more emergency disaster relief from the Biden administration. Close to four feet of snow in parts of the region there means that a state of emergency remains in effect. At this hour, more than 12,000 people without power in Erie County. Most of the outages in Buffalo, where the temperatures were again in the teens overnight. An additional 200 National Guard troops are now deployed in western New York to assist with the state's emergency response. Polo Sandoval joins us again for CNN this morning in Buffalo. Polo, good morning. Uh, as we've been saying all morning, it is still snowing. Good morning. There. Yeah, it's letting up a little bit right now, Poppy, but we expect these uh, snowy conditions to continue to tomorrow. So that's why we heard just a little while ago Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown warning residents that if they f violate a driving ban that is still in place for Buffalo this morning, 
they could face a summons. That's because that fresh coat of snow covering a lot of these streets and also some of the highways leading in and out of Buffalo. So those public works um, folks, they are going to be out in full force again today to make sure that they can clear out as much as they can. They certainly don't want to take a step back when it means uh, the cleanup process here and to get to some of those folks who may potentially still be stranded. We do expect an update from Buffalo officials here hopefully shortly to see exactly where things stand regarding the rescue. Sadly, we did uh, hear of yet another storm-related death, a 22-year-old woman that was found inside her car. Uh, we found out about that early this morning. So authorities right now, they are certainly going to be focusing on making sure that those roads can be clear, especially in and out of those suburban neighborhoods. You have people who spent all of Christmas weekend hunkered down in their homes in many cases without power. So they want to make sure that anybody who could potentially need help will actually get it. Now, in terms of full relief, well, we are expecting finally that snow band that sort of meandered up and down over Buffalo and then back south to finally dissipate in the next day or two, according to forecasters here. By the end of the week, 50 degrees, Poppy. You can only imagine what folks here on the ground are feeling. That day cannot come soon enough as they can finally uh, feel free of this wicked winter storm here in Buffalo. Ground zero for this massive storm system that affected millions throughout the country. Yeah, it's so sad to see deaths as a result of it. Polo, thank you to you and your team for all the reporting. Um, joining us now for an update, let's bring in Erie, Erie New York's County Executive, Mark Polencars. Uh, County Executive, thanks very much for your time. I'm, it's tragic what has happened. I mean, the death toll that we, the latest death toll we have uh, from the storm is 16. Is that still the count? Uh, good morning, uh, Poppy and Sarah. Uh, the medical examiner's office, as of late last night, had confirmed 13 deaths. We do know of additional bodies that have been received, and our medical examiner's office is confirming whether or not they were a storm-related death or they died from natural causes. I do believe uh, we're going to give an update at 9 o'clock that we will be okay. increasing the death total of firm deaths. That's very sad to hear. Thank you. We'll, we'll uh, obviously carry that update for people to see here. I was struck by the fact that even your first responders had to be rescued. I think that speaks to how severe this is. Yes, uh, the storm is the worst that I can remember. I remember the blizzard of 77. I was nine years old then, and, and I surpassed it with regard to ferocity. Uh, two thirds of the equipment that went out during the height of the storm got stuck. We had to send uh, specialized rescue crews to go get the rescuers, mm -hmm. law enforcement, uh, first responders, fire, EMTs. Uh, it was just horrendous. And it was horrendous for uh, literally 24 hours in a row. Uh, we're used to snow here. We can handle snow. But with the wind, uh, the blinding uh, uh, views, it was complete whiteouts and the extreme cold, it was some of the worst conditions that any of us have ever seen. I mean, you guys are some of the best at handling snow, if not the best in the country. I say this as a native Minnesotan, right? You guys know we know how to deal with snow. But we had a family on last hour, um, Mark, and they have four little kids and their power went out. So they obviously wanted to leave, needed to leave their home to try to find heat, try to find a hotel. They couldn't even get there. They get stuck in their car. They're rescued by these amazing firefighters. What do you do? It's still snowing there. What do people do if that happens to them and they got to get their kids out of the home because there's no heat, but it's very dangerous on the road? Well, we certainly say if it's a life-threatening situation and potential imminent death, you call 911. Uh, we do have a phone number that was set up, 716-858-SNOW. 
uh, which allows an individual to call for non-life-threatening but serious issues. Uh, and we will try to assist. Uh, now, thankfully, uh, the local power companies did a pretty good job of restoring last night. They knocked off over 50% of the outages. Mm -hmm. uh, but as we noted yesterday, some of the substations actually froze. It's not as if just a power line went down. Uh, substations froze, so they had to go in there, dethaw the stations, and actually see if they needed to replace equipment. Uh, it's, it was a horrible situation. Uh, the Buffalo Fire uh, Department historian said this was the first time in Buffalo Fire history that they could not respond to emergency calls because of how severe the conditions were. None of us have ever seen it. I don't ever want to see it again. Uh, as I said, we have yeah. 13 confirmed deaths in here, and we expect that to grow. And, and it's a horrible, horrible situation at any time, nevertheless, during the Christmas holiday. I have never heard you. You said the substations fro froze some of them. I think about like de-icing the way they de-ice a, a plane wing. I don't even know how you how you do that to a substation. But what can you guys do if there are more storms like this to come? Well, first off, I hope we never have more storms like this. We, it wasn't that long ago, about four and a half weeks ago, we had more than seven feet of snow fall in our uh, south towns in Erie County, uh, many of the, the uh, southern towns as well as part of the city of Buffalo. And, and we were open two days after. We can handle heavy snow. The problem was the winds. We had hurricane force winds over a Category 1 hurricane. We had 79, 80 mile an hour wind gusts uh, sustained for a long period of time, even when they dropped down to 60 miles per hour. It was still whiteout conditions. Today, it's been snowing very hard in the city of Buffalo and some of our suburbs, like two to three inches per hour. It's not complete whiteouts, but it's still pretty bad. And that's why a driving ban is in effect for a good portion of Erie County. We were able to lift it for a few communities, but the main center of Erie County, the city of Buffalo and the entering suburbs are all still in a driving ban because of how bad the conditions are for trying to get around our community. That's an important reminder for people, stay home. Uh, to stay safe if you can. Yes. Erie County Executive Mark Polenkars, thank you. Good luck. We're thinking of everyone there. So Thanks for everyone's thoughts. I appreciate it. Of course. Sorry, Mr. Polenkars. <laughs> so just how long will this dangerous weather stick around? Meteorologist Chad Myers is joining us now. You told us you were from Buffalo. You've been through it. Yep. But I don't know that it's ever been this bad in recent years. It hasn't. Even the blizzard of 77 that he was talking about, the winds were about 40 miles per hour. But when you take this wind at 80 miles per hour, you've shoved the snow farther inland, farther across the Kensington Expressway, past Amherst, even into Kenmore, which are the north towns, which aren't used to so much. Normally, we get the south towns. Temperatures still right now are in the teens and the 20s. 43 inches of snow as of last night, but as you heard the executive say, it's been snowing all morning. So the 92 that we had for this season so far will likely far surpass the 95, which is the record for any year from one solid year from July to June, there's snow year. We're already there and we're not even to the new year yet. There's the snow he was talking about. The South Towns picked it up earlier through Buffalo, but now kind of shifting on up toward North Tonawanda and the like. A lot of snow on the ground, two to three feet. Now, I know there's been more than that fallen, but it starts to settle a little bit. That means it gets heavier when you try to shovel it as well. There is the light at the end, though. That warmer air out to the west, it does shift to the east today. In fact, even Buffalo, all the way to 50 degrees by the weekend. That will help melt. Now, what do you have to do with that? You have to shovel out the gutters 
and the grates and the drains so that when that melting snow just doesn't flood your streets. So there's a lot of work still for those people to do yet. Chicago warms up again and all of that warmth spreads to the east, even New York City, the southeast. All a bad memory, but for a lot of people, this was a very, very bad memory. It sounds like they're going to have to update with a higher death toll in Buffalo, yeah. too, I'm uh, so at the top so. of the hour. Uh, we appreciate it. All right. President Biden is expected to sign a major spending bill this week, ending one of the most successful legislative Thanks. sessions in decades. The House voted Friday to pass the $1.7 trillion dollar spending bill just as government funding was set to expire. Let's go to our colleague Phil Mattingly. He is live at the White House. Good morning, Phil. I hope you had a good Christmas with all those little ones running around. What's your reporting on the president? Yeah, me coming to work on this Monday is an opportunity to exhale uh, after exactly, Christmas. With four, <laughs> with, that is, can I just with, for a moment tell you that I told my husband last night, I'm like, babe, I got to go to bed. I got work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry, really, really tough to get away from the house in this one. Um, no, look, I think while normal human beings were preparing for this weekend, uh, you noted that the House passed this $1.7 trillion spending package. And the consequence of it is not just the package itself. While it is very notable, obviously, a major spending package will fund the government through the end of September, includes several other things attached to it, $45 billion in aid for Ukraine, more than $40 billion in disaster assistance for the exact things you guys were just talking about, as well as changes to the Electoral Count Act, which are significant in the, when you consider this Congress started with the January 6th attacks in 2021. But I think more broadly, when you talk to White House officials, what this kind of hammers home is the progress that they've made over the course of the last two years, despite all of the politics, despite the partisan warfare. This president and his team have been able to get through more substantive legislation, both on a partisan basis, but also a bipartisan basis. I think anybody expected. And why that matters beyond the ability to actually get things done to move forward their agenda is I think when you talk to White House officials, the longer term, Poppy, you know this better than anybody, some of these pieces of legislation have two, three, four, five year uh, kind of time window horizons in terms of how they are implemented when it comes to manufacturing, when it comes to climate, when it comes to just general employment and how this country is structured. And I think when White House officials look at what they accomplish, certainly they want to talk about it from the political basis. But when you talk about it from a pure policy basis, we are seeing a very real shift in how the U.S. economy operates, one that White House officials believe will pay dividends for years to come. But that's so interesting. Years to come, but, you know, you've got 2024 election coming up sooner than a lot of this will actually be felt because there are these yep. long-term investments and long-term um, sort of strategies and shifts here. What what do you think? I know we're waiting for an answer from the president on yeah. officially if he's going to run again. But the White yeah. House seems to be feeling good. He seems to be feeling really good. What does that mean for 2024? Yeah, I don't think there's any question about it. I was texting with a senior official last week, said, I don't think this does anything to make the president less likely to run in 2024. Right. There's no question about that. They believe he laid out a case and has ended up proving that theory of the case over the course of the last two years. This is a decision that's going to come over the course of the next six to eight weeks. Obviously, the president has made clear he'll speak with his family over the holidays, both Thanksgiving and over the period of the next week before he makes that final decision. Expect a couple more weeks after that before anything is announced. Look, I'll tell you what I know from talking to the senior officials across the White House, uh, political team and policy team, 
team over the course of the last several weeks. Nobody is under the impression right now that the president is not going to run again. I have not heard any doubts. I have not heard any concern. Everybody is full speed ahead. The planning is full speed ahead behind the scenes. Obviously, the president has to say go. He'll make the final decision right now. But there's anybody, anybody here, when you look at what happened in the midterms, but also what happened on that policy agenda and the progress that they've been able to make in their minds, that thinks that he's not going to go again. Whether or not that changes, we're obviously on very high alert at this moment in time. But right now, it seems like all systems are go for the president to run for election. Okay. We'll see Phil Madden at the White House with an easy morning. Thank you, friend. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Also this morning, officials in El Paso, Texas, are scrambling to shelter hundreds of migrants from the dangerously cold temperatures. The house, the city housed more than 300 migrants in its convention center Friday, and the community is working to accommodate more people as the numbers continue to grow. CNN's Camilla Bernal has been live in El Paso, Texas uh, for the last several days. Can you tell us what the situation is now? People were, as we saw yesterday, sleeping on the streets. It was the freezing temperatures, literally at freezing. Um, what are you seeing now? It's a similar scenario, and Sarah, these are the critical hours when it is extremely cold during these early morning hours. And when I talk to people, they always tell me these are the hardest. Um, as you can see here, they're still sleeping under as many covers as possible. There's a lot of Red Cross blankets now, and they're doing the best they can to keep the wind away because I think that's what's hardest um, in these temperatures. A lot of people that I talk to here have told me that it has been difficult physically, but it's also been difficult emotionally, especially during the holidays. I talked to a couple of people that just got here uh, a few minutes ago and told me I did not expect it to be this way. I thought we were going to be able to go into a shelter. And I told them, look, the shelters are at capacity. The problem is that a lot of these migrants that are sleeping out here don't have the proper documentation to go into the convention center to use those city resources. And the city even saying that they were able to receive more money from the federal government in total more than 10 million dollars given to El Paso uh, but there's not a lot they can do for people who don't have the proper documentation one of the only things they can do is essentially just park a bus here as you can see this is the only way that a lot of these migrants can warm up there is not one empty seat on this bus and it is still not necessarily very warm in there but it's a lot warmer than being outside and so this is the only option a lot of them have other than sleeping outside. Uh, a lot of the people here tell me, look, we don't want to stay here. We want to go where we have maybe a family or a friend um, who can help them. So they pass through here, but their goal is to buy a bus ticket or a plane ticket so that they can get to a place that's more permanent for them. In the meantime, though, the city is left to deal with all of this and the nonprofit shelters are left to deal with all of this and they are overwhelmed. It has been a very difficult last couple of days, Sarah. Um, Camilla, before you go, and thank you for being there, I mean, just seeing that image is such yeah. a stark picture of the reality of what's happening on the border, seeing those people in the But You talked about them not having the correct, some of them, the correct documentation to be able to go to a shelter. These are asylum seekers, right? And that's a legal process to come to this country um, for fear of your life, of what is in your home country, to seek asylum. What do they need? What is the documentation they need to be let in? 
So they need to be processed by Border Patrol. And a lot of the people here are choosing not to go through that process, in part because of Title 42, because a lot of times they come in and they're being sent back to either Mexico or to their native countries, say Venezuela or wherever they came from. And they're terrified to be sent back, in part because of Title 42. So they're choosing not to go through that process with Border Patrol. And that's why they have to come Mm. to these nonprofit shelters. All right. Thank you so much, Camila Brunel, who's been out there for days with her crew. We appreciate it. The first Christmas in Ukraine since the war began, interrupted by air raid sirens and blackouts. And those blackouts are threatening the lives of people relying on electric-powered medical devices. What happens to people if the machine doesn't work? They die. They die. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. Welcome back to CNN This Morning. Look at those images. A state of emergency still in effect in western New York. An unprecedented winter storm has killed at least 17 people, most of them in the Buffalo area. Also, an inside look at Donald Trump's re-election campaign. We'll speak with journalist Olivia Nuzzi, who recently profiled the former president's run again. And New England fan Jerry Edmond is here to tell us how he wound up getting the true VIP treatment from Patriots owner Robert Kraft. This morning, holiday travel is a nightmare again for many Americans as more than 1,500 flights are canceled nationwide because of the weather that Poppy was just showing you. The world's busiest airport, that's Atlanta, topping the list of most canceled flights today. CNN's Carlos Suarez is live at Hartsfield-Jackson Atlanta International with more. The lines look like they're growing, not shrinking, Carlos. Yeah, Sarah and Poppy, good morning. A disaster is a bit of an understatement. This is the busiest I've seen this airport, and we have been here since Saturday. At this hour, 151 flights out of Atlanta's Hartsfield uh, uh, Jackson International Airport have been canceled because of the cold weather. You really can't walk too far around here without running into any number of lines. Folks either have to see a ticket counter to get a boarding pass. They've got to come over here to drop off their bags. Then they've got to head over to TSA, where the line there is at least several hours long. Across the country, we're looking at well over 1,500 flights that have been canceled because of this cold weather. That number yesterday was well over 3,000. And of course, we're talking about hundreds of more flights that are being delayed across the U.S. We caught up with one woman who was able to make it to Atlanta, but she's stuck here for now. Here's what she told us. I went out to Salt Lake to see my sister for the holidays and everything was looking good, but um, the pilot, he got delayed. So we had our whole crew, everybody was good, but they had to cancel the flight because the pilot got delayed. I was super lucky. It was a Christmas miracle, man. I made the last flight out to Atlanta, spent the night here. Hopefully I'll get back to Tennessee today. So as you can see, the real estate out here is a bit tight. Uh, Folks are being told, if you have a flight out of Atlanta, get here really early because things aren't going to get a whole lot better. Ladies. Did he say seven hours? Seven Seven hours? hours? Did I hear that? You said hours in the TSA line, right? Okay, that freaked me out. Yeah. Yes. Hours. Uh, yeah. 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 No. Excuse me. Several hours. Yeah. Several. Not okay. seven. Several. If it's seven, okay. it's pretty bad considering. Con- considering bad. I've got a flight out of here myself too. Okay, Good friend. Luck. Make it out. Thank you. Uh, coming up, journalist Olivia Newsy profiled former President Trump for New York Magazine. She calls the beginning of his re-election campaign quote 
sad, lonely, thirsty, broken, and basically pretend. But she says, which isn't to say he can't win. She'll join us with all she learned ahead. Quote, the magic is gone. That is how one Trump advisor put it in the upcoming issue of New York Magazine. Washington correspondent Olivia Nuzzi takes a deep dive look at former President Trump's, quote, quiet and lonely run for reelection. CNN has reported that allies are worried about Trump's slow start and the direction of his campaign. Nuzzi, for her part, interviews Trump. It is a fascinating read. She also talks to some of his closest aides. One advisor tells her, quote, he has retreated to the golf course and to Mar-a-Lago. His world has gotten much smaller. His world is so, so small. Close quote. Olivia Nuzzi joins us now. Uh, this is so riveting, uh, but I want to start with the headline. Because your headline on the piece is, Inside His Sad, Lonely, Thirsty, Broken, Basically Pretend Run for Re-Election. But then it, in parentheses, which isn't to say he can't win. What did you learn? It's very subtle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think I think the uh, sweep of history of the last seven years or so since Donald Trump was first running for the Republican nomination in 2015 um, proves that stranger things have happened and strange things may continue to happen. And it's important to always uh, to always factor that in. And when I was working on this piece, I was going back and you know watching those primary debates, reading the coverage from that first period of that campaign, um, and it was sort of humbling to to see just how wrong everybody was, just how wrong I was, uh, just how wrong a lot of us were. Um, and so I was trying to keep that in mind as I was assessing um, this campaign, which is not going well. I mean, the only thing that they've really done so far in this campaign uh, is release an NFT collection. And Donald Trump had dinner with a white supremacist and Kanye West. So that's uh, by any standard not going great. I suspect the more, though, that we in the media talk about him and he hears this, he tends to be reactive. So it'll be interesting to mm -hmm. see how he reacts to your piece, uh, which was, girl, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure you're going to get a lot of comments about it. Um, I want to read another quote from your piece that speaks to the sort of magic is gone idea. Uh, it's, you say, quote, in this business, you can have it and have it so hot and it can go overnight and it's gone, and you can't get it back. I think we're just seeing it's gone. The magic is gone, according to uh, an advisor. Um, when you say the magic is gone, is, he's saying he's not going to be able to get it back. Um, and he is right now the only person running as a Republican for the 2024 uh, president, the presidency in 2024. Um, what do you see that, how is that going to affect all the people who have stood by him? Yeah, you know, that was an advisor speaking to me saying that the magic is gone and, and that uh, this person did not was not sure that, that Trump would be able to get it back. Um, I think that's sort of the the difficult thing about a campaign that is just really about a personality, right, is that even if it were uh, to be run in a really um, common sense way, it was really well run, uh, would it really matter if the personality that the whole thing is built around, that the entire political movement is about, um, if, if that personality is not really on, on his game, if he's like lost his mojo in some way? Um, I don't know. Um, but I think that, you know, Donald Trump, when he's cooped up, when he's got his wings clipped, historically is kind of a dangerous creature who's prone to listening to even crazier ideas than normal and, and doing even 
even crazier things. I have one uh, former White House official in this piece talking about before the insurrection, before uh, he officially lost the campaign in 2020, um, already he had become this sort of terrifying figure who, in his COVID isolation in the White House, um, kind of locked away and kept from having contact with regular Americans or just with more normal people um, who might be around him in a, in a busy place like the West Wing, um, he really had cracked and begun to lose, lose his mind and that this person began to move further and further away from him. But, you know, Sarah, in terms of what uh, Trump might think about this piece, it's like an eight or 9,000 word piece. I don't know that he's going to be sitting down to read it. I think he'll probably just look at the cover, look at the headline and think, yeah, it's fake news and move on from there. I, but it, first of all, he talks to you. So, I mean, uh, you know, that is... Well, <laughs> go ahead. He loves, he loves attention um, sure. and uh, women and magazines in that order. So okay. I don't think it's all that's surprising. Wow. Okay. Um, you said it. Um, no, it, it, I joked when I came in this morning to the team. I'm like, Olivia's piece was amazing. It took me like an hour to read. <laughs> no, it was really was great. But I just, before you go, I want to get to one thing. Because you open up by talking about how for 28 days, he has not, since he announced, he has not left the state of Florida. And then he's like, I leave all the time. I go to Miami. But it's really to go to, like, Doral and golf, right? Yeah. So talk, I mean, just talk about that and this this theme that runs through the piece of smallness, which is just antithetical to what he wants and how he perceives himself. Yeah. I mean, in 2015, remember, he announced much closer to the actual nominating contests. But when he came down into the atrium of Trump Tower on that fabled escalator ride to hell, um, he then immediately left and got on Trump Force One, as he was calling his private plane, went to Iowa. The following day, he went to New Hampshire. Um, and then at, shortly after that, he went down to the border with Rudy Giuliani. And so it was a very quick, um, very like rapid uh, him just going directly onto the campaign trail and not really stopping until until he won the election. And this time he invited people to like his living room and he hasn't left since. Um, and, and the campaign is like very obviously self-conscious because the candidate is self-conscious about this and they're doing their best to claim that he's extraordinarily busy. They sent me this list of events. Um, it was 11 events that he had allegedly taken part in uh, since the announcement, including the announcement itself, um, including like five video events that he was not actually physically at, including a bunch of things also at Mar-a-Lago. Um, he just isn't all that busy and the midterms are over. Over, and I guess there's not a lot of justification for a um, for a MAGA rally at this point. Um, and he is stuck there. He's at Mar-a-Lago and playing golf, and people are coming to see him. And I don't think that uh, that he really knows what to do with himself in this sort of lame duck period as the only candidate. He's running against himself. At the at this point, all right, Olivia Newsy, thank you so much. By the way, I'm halfway through, so it's, forgive me. But it's, <laughs> you're such a, a, a great writer that I will oh, read thanks. the rest. So thank you so and much for coming. Every word on. is so deliberate. Yeah, it's, great. it's a thanks, great guys. piece. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. This morning's number is zero point four. We'll tell you why that is coming up. Tiny number. <laughs> I'm now figuring out why Sarah and I were having this conversation about returning gifts. Yeah. <laughs> Complaining, we're, sorry. We're about experiences more than physical <laughs> gifts. But if you're unhappy with one of your gifts this Christmas, don't worry, you're not alone. CNN senior data reporter Harry Anton explains uh, what Americans are doing with their unwanted gifts. None of your girlfriend's gifts you are unwanted, though. No, they're right. all wanted. They're all wanted. They were all fantastic gifts. <laughs> Let's walk over to the wall 
and we'll say what this morning's number is. It is 0.4. How many Christmas gifts does the average person return? 0.4 compared with giving 12 gifts and receiving six. I think I received more than I gave. My girlfriend was the opposite. Thanks. I love the new Buffalo Bills attire that I received yesterday. <laughs> so let's talk about the gifts that we don't like. When you get a holiday gift you don't like, what do you do with it? 49% of Americans say they actually keep gifts that they don't like. 31% say that they, in fact, return those gifts, which perhaps to me is what I would suggest. 16% actually re-gift it and give it to somebody else. And what happens when you do, in fact, return a gift? Do you tell that person that gave you the gift that you're returning it? 40% said never. 32% said sometimes. And this 17% said always. I don't know who these people are, but they are brutally honest people. That much I know. <laughs> Uh, coming here with the, 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 the Grinch, the guy that returns all the Christmas gifts. Sorry. Um, wh what do you think is the greatest gift of all for, for children, Harry? The fact that they are off this week. The fact that they are off this week. So take a look at the top five school districts in the country. New York, they're all off. Los Angeles, off. Chicago, off. Miami-Dade, they're all off. Clark County, they're off. And this is the only week in which all five of these districts outside of summer are off. But of course, it's not just about the kids. What about the adults? What is it going on for them this week? Well, the decorations have to come down. When do you start taking down your Christmas decorations? 6% say today, that's the day after Christmas. 16% say this week. First week of January is the most popular, 41%. 16% say later in Jan. How about that 4% who say February or later? But I guess we all have somebody in our lives who just don't want to let go. Or you just leave the lights up all year. Yeah. No. Why not? Leave, leave it up all year. It'll be a festive time, especially in the deep darkness of January. Leave those lights up. Bring us some happy faces. Fair Thanks. enough. Thanks for the joy this morning. I tried. Nice new shirt. Yeah. Thank you. This, of course, Rest from the girlfriend. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She did a good job. Yeah. <laughs> and coming up, Anderson and Andy, speaking of the first year of January, are back for another global celebration. Join them for New Year's Eve Live from Times Square starting at 8 p.m. on CNN. And you will also see our Don Lemon hosting from New Orleans. Hopefully a, a cameo from Mama Lemon, too. Oh, that would we'll be hope. so sweet. We'll hope. Oh, also this, New England Patriots <laughs> owner Robert Kraft personally inviting a fan to his suite Saturday, giving him a hug after a video of the fan getting heckled at a game a week ago went viral. You will understand why uh, he got that invitation because of his response to that heckling. That fan joins us live next. You know what, how about you guys? How are you, man? How are you? Good to see you. I'll tell you, what you did was so classy, and you represent what our whole franchise is about. That was Robert Kraft talking to Patriots fan Jerry Edmond, um, welcoming him to Foxborough. Edmond went viral for keeping his cool despite being heckled. And when I tell you heckled, she was in the man's face over and over and over again. She was clearly a Raiders fan. Y'all have such a bad rap. I mean, come on. <laughs> Following a brutal last-second loss in Las Vegas last week, he stood quietly and chose not to respond at all. He doesn't even move as the Raiders fan yelled in his face time and again at his very first NFL game. Now, here's what happened after the incident. He accepted an invitation to watch the Patriots play 
at a home game from the comfort of, yep, Robert Kraft's box on Saturday. That fan sitting there watching the game from the, from the fancy boxes, which I've never been in, Jerry Edmond joins us now. Thank you so much for joining us, Jerry. Thank you for having me. You know, I got to start with this because you, you said something that was um, poignant that talks about the, the, the moment that we are in in this country. You said, as a black man in America, any reactive response would result in a lose-lose situation. Tell us more about what you meant by that. Um, just being in that situation, um, being who I am and being like around everyone I was around everyone that was there. It was kind of just like me knowing any type of retaliation, any type of action on my end, it could have shifted the story. It could have shifted the dynamic of the situation, turning me into an aggressor versus how it actually went. And I didn't want to cause any trouble to anybody else. I just want to continue trying to enjoy the game the best way I could and not ruin it for anybody else either. Can I just ask you what she was saying to you exactly? Curious. Was it just yelling, like, um, the best? Or? Nah, she was kind of like, she was swearing a lot in my face. Um, it was more so, I was more so focused on the field, trying to ignore her on, like, how we actually lost. So I guess that was kind of helping me ignore how she was coming in my face and everything like that. But it was more so, like, swearing and... Um, there's a whole bunch of other explosives. You did what we all hope we would do, but I don't know if we would have patience for what you had patience for. Let's talk about the happy ending to this. Yes. And that is what uh, Bob Kraft did for you. I heard at one point you even were FaceTiming with Jay-Z. Is that right? What? Yeah. Yeah, it was after um, after uh, he gave me the gift uh, with my uh, name on the jersey. He uh, surprised me with the FaceTime with uh, Jay-Z. That is so cool. Can you just quickly tell me what that experience was like? Because that was your first NFL game, right, where you're heckled, and then you go to this game in a whole different way. Um, it's like my friend said, they think I peaked because <laughs> you can't go from uh, how amazing that game went and how my experiences was with meeting Robert Kraft, FaceTiming Jay-Z, sitting in the suite, going out on the field. And uh, one thing that did uh, make me feel good is going onto the field and everyone chanting out Jerry. Um, nice. People like recognizing me and everything like that. And I was, it was an amazing experience. I love that. You are oh. an example, sir. And I bet you even made Bill Belichick <laughs> smile. Thank you. That was one thing that made me happy. Uh, him walking up to me with a smile on my face and giving me the handshake. Nah, See? That See? one I'll try to. See? Uh, Jerry, may we all be like Jerry in 2023. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, all of you, for watching. Thanks for getting up early. Yes, it's a pleasure to be with fun. you. We will see you back here tomorrow morning. CNN Newsroom starts now. That is it for this episode of CNN This Morning. You can check out our lineup of podcasts and showcasts at cnn.com slash audio or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. 
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.